So, I was going to sing and then decided to not subject our listeners. That's probably wise. Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. What were you going to sing? Uh, well, I was going to go for Tale as Old as Time. Mm, appropriate. Uh, but uh, you have to have like a, a, a pretty voice for that. So I'm going to not. You could have asked me to sing. I think I'm offended. Well, I just kind of assumed that at some point during this episode and this conversation about the loss of one of the luminaries of our art that you're going to bust out your Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yeah, if I cannot trip over the Sondheim lyrics, that's going to be the key. That is true. That is very true. Hello, everyone. Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we take the national theater news and tell you why it matters to your uh, local pie shop, very little pie shop, in your own little corner, in your own little chair. And I'm veering dangerously between shows here. But You are, and I swear to God, if you do anything to invoke Julie Andrews right now. <laughs> we cannot lose another. We are mourning the loss of Angela Lansbury, Dame Angela Lansbury. It's hard to be, like, super duper sad when they're, like, 97. Right. But at the same time, she was such a presence. She was such a light. She has such an impactful history in the theater mm-hmm. world. Um, and it's a loss, for sure. I have her uh, bio pulled up here, so I'm just going to read from it. I think Angela Lansbury is one of those names that people might not know, but... Uh, but they will recognize the work. Right. So uh, Dame Angela Bridget Lansbury, I didn't know that until today, uh, was born in 1925. She's Irish-British, um, and she uh, began acting in, what was her, when, when was her first film? What year? Is this a quiz? Uh, it is Gaslight in 1944. I didn't realize there's going to be a pop quiz attached to this yeah. podcast episode. Sorry. I am not prepared. I'm a burned out gifted kid, Ryan. You can't spring a pop quiz on me without warning. All right. Well, hey, hey, Cassie. Uh-huh. There will be a test. <laughs> no. So her work spans uh, roughly eight decades across film, stage, and television. She won six Tony Awards, including a Lifetime Achievement, six Golden Globes, the Laurence Olivier, an Honorary Academy Award. She was nominated for an additional three Academy Awards, 18 Emmys, and a Grammy. Uh, she uh, escaped the Blitz, so we're talking World War II, uh, made it over and did a lot of film work first and then escaped uh, MGM to go to the theater, which is not usually how that worked. Usually it was theater people um, making movies. She was in the original picture of Dorian Gray in 1945, uh, The Manchurian Candidate, uh, many other films, notably uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks is a movie I forgot about until yesterday. Uh, I grew up watching Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and could not tell you a single thing about the plot, except that at one point they're underwater. True. And there may be bed knobs and or broomsticks. There's definitely bed knobs because that's how I learned what a bed knob is. Sure. 
And they go flying around on like a magical bed at some point. So when we say Angela Lansbury, you and I know who Angela Lansbury is. But Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to pick a role, like what's one of the first ones you're going to talk about? I mean, the iconic role is, of course, the crotchety grandmother in Nanny McPhee. Clearly, without question. Of course. (laughs) No, the iconic role that everybody's going to know is uh, she was the voice of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast, the animated movie. And um, she recorded Tale as Old as Time in one take. She did one take of it because she didn't think she had a good enough voice for the song, and she was going to prove that to Alan Menken. And she's like, I'll give you one take. And she did it, and that's what they used in the movie. She's very, very good. She's very, very good. And so I think that's the one that most people are going to know. I think one of her biggest contributions to the world of musical theater was as Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. The original. The original. And that, there's a filmed version of that that's available to watch through Broadway HD, which is a Broadway streaming service. You can probably find clips on YouTube as well. You can definitely find clips on YouTube. It's very, very good. Worst Pies in London is probably the song to look up from Mm -hmm. that. If you just want a couple of minutes of understanding uh, who she was and what she did. Some other things that she did uh, include Murder, She Wrote. That's probably what most most people would know her from. Right. Which ran for how many years? How many years, Cassie? I didn't study. (laughs) I don't know a lot. Like it's got nothing on on CSI, but. Twelve seasons, 264 episodes. Yeah, decent number. Yeah, it did okay. Um, she, I, like, you can't even go through her IMDb page. Like, it's so long. There's so much to it. Um, she voiced uh, in Anastasia. Oh, yeah, she was the Dowager Empress. Yep. Uh, she was in Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. So she continued acting up until up until 2022. This year she was in, uh, she's in... Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. So the follow-up starring Daniel Craig and then everybody else in it. So she's in that. It'll be out on Netflix. She's done just a whole bunch. Just a whole bunch. And we will miss her dearly. We will. It's just reminding me that several of the big, bright lights of my childhood are getting progressively older. Yeah. And there are some of these folks where I will not be okay. Check on me. (laughs) Because there are some coming up that are going to be hard. Do you know she starred in an Australian production of Driving Miss Daisy? I didn't. Any guesses on her co-star for that one? I would pay so much money to see this. It was in 2012. Ten years ago. 2012. The only Australian male actors of note that I know off the top of my head are Hugh Jackman and the Hemsworths. Well, it's not them. Uh, I don't know. The Australian part's not important. Apparently they did it there. Um, Oh, okay. This man is not Australian. I assume she was Miss Daisy. Yes. I don't know. Who was it? James Earl Jones. Oh, something was urging me to say James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. I would also pay a lot of money to see that. And Angela Lansbury in Driving Miss Daisy. Wow. Yes, please. 
So uh, get at us on the Discord or on the Twitter. Tell us what your favorite Angela Lansbury roles are. Uh, I'm sure we're forgetting some because there is literally so many. Just jumping out at me right here, um, she co-starred with Jim Carrey and Mr. Popper's Penguins. Like, that happened. Yep. Called up Angela, said, you want to make a movie with Jim Carrey about some penguins? Okay. <laughs> at that point, she said, sure, why not? Why not? I can get there. I can do it. Well, what else is going on in the Broadway world, Ryan? Well, there are some other things going on in the larger Broadway world, and since we're sad, we're going to stay sad, and then we're probably going to be able to get out of it and get a little happier. Because we can't stop talking about this, because we have a BGSU Tony Award winner now, who I uh, got to meet and listen to and... uh uh, touch and hold the Tony Award. He had it with him. Gosh, that oh. thing's heavy. That thing was so heavy. It is so solid. But uh, a strange loop has announced it is closing on Broadway in the middle of January yeah. 2023. Oh, that kills me. Like, it just won a Tony. It won the Tony. It won the Tony. Go see it. Go see it. And, uh, I did not know this part, and it made me appreciate what they were doing even more. And we've talked about accessibility in theater, right, and how people can't mm-hmm. see shows on Broadway. You can go see A Strange Loop for $45. Beautiful. It's a whole thing. You can. There are a range of prices, obviously, but that was one of the things that Jimmy was saying, was that it, because of the subject matter of this show and how important the representation of this show was that it was very, very, very important to all of the creatives involved that there be some very accessible ticket prices. Uh, And those ticket prices will be staying up, or rather will be staying consistent through the end of the run. Good, good, good. Yeah, I really wanted to go see his talk. He came back in and did an evening at um, BGSU. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was smack in the middle of my tech week. So I could not go, but I'm glad that you were able to go. I was very glad I was able to go. I was, um, I had a good time. Uh, he's very compelling. I forgot how compelling he was. Um, and it was just him and Lisa talking for an hour. Um, so we got a lot of good Alan Cummings stories because Jimmy was his personal assistant for a couple of years. Beautiful. Hearing him talk through his journey of how he made it, you know, from uh, being a, a child wrangler on the Billy Elliot National Tour all the way up to being a, a Tony Award-winning producer um, and the journey that that took and the years that it took. And the uh, he apparently ended up in TV at one point, um, did some stuff okay. on TV. It was a whole thing. So that kind of brings this to a close. I'm still hoping to get out there to see A Strange Loop. Uh, maybe during the holidays, it feels important to uh, get to witness this. Uh, no word on a national tour. I would not expect one, really. Um, hopefully, no. we'll see some regional productions of this. That would be amazing. We'll see what they want to do. But as we start to see Broadway shows close, we get more and more announcements of what is coming because we live in a cyclical industry. And while this one is not a uh, a Broadway show, it's not coming to Broadway, it is the Roundhouse Theater in collaboration with the Folger Folger Theater, will present a reimagined production of William Shakespeare's The Tempest. So far, nothing special. Hang on one second. Adapted and directed by Aaron Posner. Okay. And Teller. As in the magician Teller. You know what? I'm here for that. Please incorporate more legitimate magic tricks on stage 
And Tempest is the Shakespeare to do that with. On board. So that's uh, that's in Maryland. Uh, it opens uh, November 28th, and it only runs through the beginning of January. So it's a pretty short run. It is apparently performed um, in other cities, and they're kind of moving it around. It's, it's not really a tour. It features music from the catalog of the songwriter Tom Waits, uh, movement from modern dance company Palobolus. Maybe that's right. I don't know. And Magic, done by Teller. Or, or crafted by Teller. He's not on stage, but he is. Yes. No, I am here for this. I want to see Prospero doing close-up magic. I want to see some I want to see some Prospero magic. I want to see Caliban doing close-up magic. Yes, that too. Like, I don't know what this means, but I want to. I really, really yeah. want to. Absolutely. I also saw that And Juliet, which we've touched on briefly in a past episode, has their full cast now that they've announced. Yes. And a large majority are Broadway debuts, which is exciting. Oh, that's cool. Their first time performing on Broadway. And it, it looked like a solid 75, 80% of their cast is making a Broadway debut. That is not normal. And that's great. Yeah. I think that that's very exciting and encouraging, especially because, like, the last show that touted, like, look at all these Broadway debuts we have was Music Man, and it was, but it was the children. It was all the children. It doesn't count. And so it's like, yeah, okay, that's not as impressive. No, you, no, that doesn't work. No, 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 no. But for this one, which is a cast of adults, to my knowledge, to have so many Broadway debuts, like, giving a platform and a space to perform for up-and-coming performers is really exciting. Up-and-coming performers and uh, new music and new... Well, it's not new music, but a new sh- a new take on a show. Uh, side note, there's a film coming out on Hulu in the next week called Rosalind, and I am I so see, excited. I have seen ads for that, and I'm excited about it. Like I, I'm gonna watch that the night it comes out. Put it on, put it on our list. Maybe we'll talk about it. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about it. I will add it to the list. But other new things coming. Uh, a musical that I don't think I know too much about yet, but I am very interested to see what comes of it. And we've touched on it, and that is Kimberly Akimbo. Yeah, I've heard a few TikTokers chatting about it with nothing but good things to say, but I don't know that much about it beyond that. So the summary is winner of every Off-Broadway Best Musical Award, including the New York Drama Critics Circle Award, Drama Desk, the Lucille Lordle, and the Outer Critics Circle. It's coming to Broadway. I believe it opens. Uh, I believe previews are this month, October, and opens in November. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I need to know more about it, but uh, I didn't even know like the summary until I looked it up today. And whatever you think it is, you're wrong. Here's what it is. Tony Award winner (laughs) Victoria Clark stars as Kim, a bright and funny Jersey teen who happens to look like a 72-year-old lady. Okay. And yet her aging disease may be the least of her problems. Forced to maneuver family secrets, borderline personalities, and possible felony charges, Kim is determined to find happiness in a world where not even time is on her side. So, need to know a little bit more about that. So, 
dear listener, stick with us. We will dive more into Kimberly Akimbo, I think, as we see some reviews start to come out and what the Broadway version is and what the people start to say about it. I know there's also a production in Chicago right now of a musical version of The Notebook. Yes. Let's talk about that. That's getting a lot of buzz. I'm, I don't know. I hope that in putting it on, they have fixed a lot of the incredibly toxic elements of that story from the original book and movie. It'll be interesting to see because a certain amount of it is, you know, integral to the plot for better or worse. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's kind of the same as it, it feels like it would have been a great like golden age Broadway musical, you know, throw a couple tap numbers yeah. in there, do a big rain effect, a couple of big sweeping ballads. That would have been the notebook. But I think it's a lot more kind of experimental than that okay. in terms of structure. I know that they've got like three or four actors playing different actors playing the main characters Interesting. at different ages. Okay. Um, and I know that they've gone with like a colorblind cast. Interesting. Um, so there's a very diverse cast. Um, yeah. Again, I don't know that much about it. I just hear it getting buzz and I'm just sitting here going, okay, but the couple in this story, it's such a toxic relationship. Yeah. It's not good. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not something to be aspired to, uh, but it is one of those stories that keeps getting told. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how well they are able to uh, adapt that for the stage. Because that's the other thing about putting putting these stories on the stage. Once the right person opens their mouth and starts singing the right song, it's like a lot of the problematic elements can kind of fade away. Um, True. And then they're a little more exacerbated on film. Uh, case in point, Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. But let's talk about uh, a show that is happening right now that has absolutely no problematic elements at all. And that's Guys and Dolls. Ugh, Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls is a perfect show. I will, I will brook no uh, 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 naysaying on the matter. <laughs> I've seen clips. There are clips out now. There are. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. They sound amazing. We're, of course, they talking so about good. the Kennedy Center production starring James Monroe Eaglehart, Philippa Sue. Stephen Pascal and Jesse Mueller, and uh, it's amazing. It is worth pointing out. So we've got some stuff from some of the critics. Uh, Peter Marks from the Washington Post says, I'm calling on some higher authority to step in and order a stay of disassembly and to hold the actors off at the D.C. border. Only 10 performances? I mean, yeah, it's, it's Kennedy Center. They don't typically do. Yeah. Like the big extension, it's it's treated more like your traditional community theater production. Yeah, where you've got this many shows and that's and that's it. It doesn't run forever. And I'm sure part of this is coming from the success of the Into the Woods uh, mm-hmm. concert that became a full stage revival that is continuing to run and play, which Philippa Sue came out of. But um, there are many of critics calling for it to move to New York City. Which I'm sure yeah. was part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's why you get big Broadway names. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Pretty much every review of this Guys and Dolls is high praise for everything around th- these four leads, but particularly for these four leads playing the roles they were meant to play. And I just, again, just want to see it. Just want 
to see it. I don't usually bemoan where I live. Yeah, there's not a lot but of like sometimes. Uh, new fresh stuff up here. <laughs> no. No, there is not. Um, I've got one more bit of news that uh, touches on some other topics we, we've discussed before. And that is that the Discovery Plus streaming service has ordered a three-part documentary that will explore the alleged behind-the-scenes drama of Glee. Oh, okay. Am excited and terrified for that. So that is just now announced and just now in production. I'm sure we will come back to that. There are too many streaming platforms. There's so many. I'm There's fed so many. up with it. I can't keep up. I don't want to pay for all of them. But now that you're not man. running a show, Cassie, you have time to watch all of them. That's true. That is true because your show is done and over. My show is done. We've closed. So, okay. So while we're on the subject of streaming platforms, we're going to talk about uh, Little Women for quite a bit here. But first, the show finished. You got to go home and sit on your couch. What was the first thing you watched? Great British Bake Off. There you go. Because I missed there an episode. There it is. I missed an episode during performance weekend. I had to I had to watch the vaguely racist Mexican episode. Well it was unfortunate. Know. Well, you know what wasn't unfortunate? Your show. There you go. How's that for a segue? That was great. That was a great segue, right? Yeah, it's even better when I call it out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, my show my show is is done. We talked our last episode about tech week and and that whole process Mm -hmm. and now i'm sitting here three days post show are you sick yet (laughs) have you crashed uh a little bit well and here's the thing this is part of what made my show so interesting is half of my cast was sick Mm -hmm. all through the performance weekend so i'm like this is really only a matter of time this was an interesting show. It was a good show. I am going to I'm going to say that just in case any of the students are listening. I am phenomenally proud of the five shows that my kids put on. Absolutely phenomenally proud of them. However, it was a wild weekend. It was an an unpredictable weekend. It was it was the joy of live theater personified. So, uh dear listener, I don't know why I keep saying dear listener, but I'm going to keep saying it. I kind of like it. Dear listener, it is impossible to describe what performing on a stage or going through a performance weekend is like until you have done it. Like even if you're in the audience and you're watching your kid do it all week and you were there for tech part of it and you helped through the process, it's still not quite the same as being on the stage and experiencing everything that live theater can throw at you. And I believe, Cassie, you uh, were somehow able to check off new boxes. You had new experiences. So for the first time um, in HYT's history, as long as I've been working for them, we did a five-show weekend. Um, This is traditionally Mm -hmm. seen like at the college level. College shows will traditionally do a five-show weekend, or at least BGS you did. Um, where you have performances on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and then a Saturday and Sunday matinee. 
Um, we typically don't do that intense of a performance weekend with our students because they are students. Yep. And um, usually there's no need to. If we're performing in a big enough space, we're not going to make enough money from five shows. However, because our performance space for this show was so small, it was a 70-person house, um, we opted to do five shows in the weekend to maximize the number of people who could come see the show. Yes. And because we were performing on Friday and because I had students in marching band, we deliberately cast understudies for two of our roles, two and a half of them. Um, and so we, throughout the process, were rehearsing two distinct shows. We had our main cast show and we had our understudy show. And those were the two versions of the show that we knew going into performance weekend we were going to perform. Yes. We performed three different versions of the show and did not perform the rehearsed understudy version of the show at any point in the weekend. For those listening who might not totally understand, people understand what an understudy is, right? Like that's, you know, it's somebody who is there and learns the the main role so that they can step in so that the show can go on if somebody gets sick, if somebody, you know, gets hit by a bus, things like that. But... It is not always typical in youth theater to have understudies necessarily. Uh, No. Particularly like true actual understudies. Like you are doing something else in the show or you are are the understudy for this big role and that's what you're doing. It's a lot more common to see um, double castings, I think. Where, Mm -hmm. you know, you have cast one and cast two or cast red and cast yellow and each cast gets two shows and that's how you get more people in your program and sell more tickets and all of these things. That's fairly common place at this point. But you didn't even have understudies for everyone just to select few roles. No. So I typically don't have understudies except on my musicals. Um, I will try to understudy my main cast like the big roles on on musicals. But I'm also a firm believer in, especially with kids, if I'm asking a kid to learn this role, I should give them a chance to perform this role. Sure. Now, we used to, with our summer musical, we used to do a partnership with a local um, community program called STARS. Mm -hmm. And they would do field trips during the summer on Tuesdays. And so we would invite them to come see a dress rehearsal and that dress rehearsal would be our understudy performance. Yes. Um, obviously it's not summertime. So for this show, um, I, because of my marching band kids, I was like, well, Friday night will then be our understudy show. Um, but I had to work with who auditioned. And so I knew that I wasn't going to get enough people to understudy everybody and I knew that I wasn't going to have enough rehearsal time to work with a full cast of understudies. And so we ended up casting my two marching band kids as Joe, the main character, and mm-hmm. Beth, the younger sister. And so we had the actors who were stepping into those parts had other parts in the show. And so our understudy, Beth, could just double. She was also Clarissa, one of the story characters. And so she could be Clarissa and then run off stage and change and to her costume for Beth and come on and be Beth. So she did double duty. But our understudy for Joe, because Joe was basically on stage the whole time. Yeah. Um, we then had another actor step into her small role 
for the understudy show. So I had three, I had three actors taking on different roles for the understudy performance. However, we got to the end of opening night, main cast, full main cast performed. And at the end of, of opening night, one of my actors who's playing Aunt March um, had a fever. She hadn't been feeling well all day. And by the time the show was done, she was running a fever. And she felt really, really bad. And so I, you know, talked to her. I talked to her mom. And I told her, I was like, I don't want you to prioritize our show over your physical well-being. Right? Because we've got five shows this weekend. If you have to sit out tomorrow, we can find a way around that. We can find an alternative. We can make the show work. It will continue on. I want mm-hmm. you to stay safe and well and healthy. And so... Aunt March is in a huge part um, in this particular production. And I had an actor who's the sister of the girl who's playing Joe, who I knew had been running lines with her, who I knew could step into the part with very little notice. And so for the understudy performance, my Aunt March opted to not perform. She opted to stay home and recover, take care of herself. And so I found that out for sure at about 1.30 that afternoon. Plenty of time. Let my – plenty of time. Let plenty the girl that time. I had talked to the night before know that, yes, you are going to be going on. Um, but the girl playing Aunt March was also the one who was stepping into the small role that my understudy Joe was stepping out of. Oh, oh boy. This got complicated. Right. Exactly. So – because it was a story character, the girl who I was throwing in for Aunt March couldn't also do that small part. So then somebody else had to, like, pull in. So I had two girls performing in my understudy show who were performing roles that they had never rehearsed. Great. But they both did beautifully. Um, the girl who stepped in with 24 hours notice only skipped or dropped a line a couple times. They recovered. That was fine. And then the next night, Saturday matinee, my Aunt March was back. We did our full cast for Saturday afternoon. We did our full cast for Saturday evening. And I was like, great. Saturday Saturday evening's performance was magical. It was one of those phenomenal performances that you, like, pray for as a director. Yeah. Where everybody was just on. They were locked in. They were gelled. They were playing off of each other. We had a great audience. They were playing off of the audience reactions. Yeah. It was pretty close to a perfect show. And then I showed up on Sunday. Um, so Cassie had <laughs> been talking about this. Sunday. Has obviously been talking about Little Women for, I don't know, two years now? Three years? A while. A while. You've been wanting to do this one for a while. I have. Um, I have. So my schedule just happened to work out that the only show I could come to was the Saturday, Sunday matinee. I was like, cool, great. Everything will be figured out. Everyone will have everything down. It'll be great. So I got to show up and watch that show. Um, And then something happened that I've never seen happen before. Cassie, what happens when you have to send an understudy on at intermission? Oh, it's a whole thing, Ryan. (laughs) It's a whole thing. So, listen, I have been part of shows before where somebody was sick and they were running off stage between their scenes to puke in a bucket and then running back on stage to do the scene. Right. I've right. been part of like, shows where that yeah. happened. Yeah. Like we don't we're not promoting this, but this is <laughs> no. kind of 
part of it. Like, especially in like youth or college theater where everyone's doing it because they love it or they're learning and there's only so many shows, right? We're not yeah. talking about professional shows that are running for weeks or months or years. Yeah. This is this is different. Yeah, so I show up on Sunday afternoon and my Joe is not feeling well. Um, she tells me she's super nauseous, um, but she's going to power through and she'll be fine. And her... <laughs> Her exact words to me were, if I need to run off stage and go blue, I go run off stage and go blue. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, that's that's a not, pretty not good ideal. impression. I can hear that actually in her voice. <laughs> not ideal, but this is the situation. And uh, so I'm, you know, keeping an eye on her, checking in as we get up to curtain. And she's always, she's like, yeah, nope, don't feel great, but I'm okay. I can get through it watching her checking in during the show because uh, i'm standing in back of house she has a couple back of house entrances i'm always like hey how you doing she's like i'm feeling a little bit better i'm like great we get to the scene that is the last scene of act one and she does not come on stage there are two people in this scene <laughs> there is a guy it's the the Lori and joe proposal scene if, if you're at all familiar with the story of little women and Lori is on stage and he finishes his big thing that she's supposed to interrupt and she does not emerge. She does not show up. He stalls. Beautifully. Yeah, very good stuff. I knew what was happening at that point. <laughs> um, uh, Kelly had clued me in that something was not going well or correctly. Um, so as that scene just kind of kept going and going and going and nobody else was coming on stage, I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah, We're about and to I see also knew happen. as soon as as soon as she missed that entrance, I was like, I know exactly what's happening right now, and the audience was not really any the wiser. Most of them, they're like sitting mm-hmm. there laughing at the ridiculous ad libs that my Lori is doing on stage, which worked, by the way. Honestly, like, I have worked. to give him it props. All worked. I have to give him props. He covered really well. Finally, she does run on. She does emerge, and she does not look good. Like no. she is, she is pale. She is sweating. She like does not look like a healthy person. And I'm texting with my stage manager. I'm like, I'm assuming this just happened to my stage manager. Like, don't worry, we're on it. She's like, I'll, I'll catch you up at intermission. And I was like, okay. Um, so you know, both of this actor's parents are there in the back with me, and I kind of like go over fill them in on what's going on. Um, and then I, you know, get confirmation at intermission from my stage manager. Yes, she was in the bathroom. And I've pulled her understudy because Joe is the character that has an understudy. I've pulled her understudy. We're getting her in costume. And then the next thing I know, I'm being told she is pitching a fit. She insists that she is perfectly capable of doing act two. She wants to go on. She does not want to be replaced. And I was like, okay, let me let me run down and talk to her. So she was in the basement, sitting in a chair. Tim, our choreographer, was like forcefully keeping her in the chair. She did look a lot better at that point. She looked more like a functioning human being. And she was insistent. She's like, I can do it. I can go on. I can get through act two. I feel a lot better. You know, I'm ready to go. I, you don't need to put the understudy in. And it's like, like, I, I understood. I got it. She's, she's a junior. This is a huge role for her. Her whole family, extended family was in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, she, it was the last show of the weekend. She wanted to finish out strong i understood that completely but at the same time as the director 
I have this obligation to keep my students safe. Yeah. And we had an understudy. And you had an understudy. And we had an understudy. If we hadn't had an understudy, I would have let her do it. But we had an understudy who knew the part and who was ready to go on and who could. So I, I did make a deal with her. I said, okay, here's the deal. You need to drink a bottle of water. You need to eat some pretzels. Your understudy is going to stay in costume. Because this gave this gave uh, my Aunt March a great chance to actually perform her little mini stand-in role that she hadn't gotten to perform on Friday when she wasn't there. So she mm-hmm. was going to stand in for it. I said, your understudy is going to stay in costume. And you can go on and you can joke too. But if you throw up again, your understudy is going on. That's it. You're done. You're done. That's uh, it. Yes. And so I left to go upstairs, tell her understudy what the situation was, and tell her love interest not to kiss her in the final uh-huh. scene. Yes. And I was... Very important director things. I had just entered the green room when her boyfriend came running up the stairs behind me and went, Cassie, and just like did the slashing motion across <laughs> his throat because she'd eaten two pretzels. And that was it. She was done. And that was it. She was and done. And that was it. And so I just said at the top of intermission, at like intermission went long, obviously, because we were dealing with all this. Yes, it did. And I just came in. You know, we flashed the lights. We did our little raffle drawing. And I just said, you know, in act two, Joe March will be played by this actor. And it worked. It took a little bit to, uh, as an audience member, took a little bit to kind of get comfortable with understanding like like mentally getting to the place where like okay this is the same character they just look different um but then uh i mean you have a young amy and an old amy or yeah so like that uh, another character was already going to be played by two actors so i think that kind of helped in this very specific situation (laughs) right um but yeah at the end of the day you know it's like it's the same thing with if a kid gets hurt on the baseball field, right? And then insist yeah. that they're fine, but the coach has to keep them on the bench. Like it's, or the, anything like that, you have to protect the kid. You got to keep them safe, even if it's yeah. from themselves. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes we don't have the luxury of getting to do that, but you had an understudy who yeah. was more than capable and had performed the role. And had performed the role. Um, the Which biggest... is unusual. Yes, yes. Like, normally it's like we're throwing you in, but she'd done the the show on Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, What was really fascinating for me was, though, she had never performed or rehearsed with the main cast, Beth. Huh. Because every single time she'd run her stuff, it was with understudy Beth. Because that was the plan. Because that was the plan. And so that what you saw, Ryan, was the very first time that those two actors had ever played those scenes off of each other. That is, uh, for those of you listening along, that is not normal. Yeah. Very yeah. not normal. There's a reason why we have weeks and weeks and weeks of rehearsals so that everything is figured out in the safety of the rehearsal room and not mm-hmm. in front of an audience. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a it was a wild weekend. But like here's here's the thing. I think having five performances really did help me accept everything that happened and and still feel very positively about it because mm-hmm. we had five shows. And three yep. of those 
were exactly the show that we planned on on presenting to people. Sure. Two of them yeah. were anomalies, but three of them were exactly what we rehearsed. And so I think because of that, I'm able I, I was able in the moment to be like, yeah, you know what? This is happening and it's fine and we're dealing with it. And this is not the first time that I have directed a show where I have had to make last minute actor swaps because of illness. It is actually the mm-hmm. third time I have directed a show where I had to make last minute actor swaps because of illness. And one of those shows was the very first show I ever directed. I lost two actors on final dress and opening night because they had bird flu. It was 2009. Um, A different time. A different time. But they had they had flu. They had 103 degree fevers and couldn't get out of bed. And so I grabbed other actors and put a script in their hands and said, you're doing this. And I think because that was my experience with the very first show I ever directed, I'm very hard to fluster in this Mm -hmm. particular way. I'm just like, well, I'm going to find somebody else who can do it and we're going to make the best of it. Yeah, it's going to work one way or the other. The other thing about youth theater is that everybody who's there and doing it generally is there because they really want to do it and they want Mm -hmm. to grow and they want to do new things and they want to take on new roles. So grabbing somebody and saying hey i know you've been paying attention i know you know most of these words probably and you've been watching these rehearsals and hey it's your turn let's see what you can do yeah like that is that's something you can do yeah and just the grace under fire from the entire cast like even the ones who weren't swapping out roles but then all of a sudden had to be playing against a different person Mm -hmm. you know everybody pulled together just beautifully and made the weekend work and i'm very very proud of this cast i'm very incredibly proud of this cast and of the show that they put on all five of them they did really great work and i'm i'm pleased with it i'm i'm not coming out of this weekend and all of its crazy hiccups with any sort of negativity and I think that that's important. Especially because these are the same students, the same group of students that you work with over and over, and uh, they need to see you uh, keep your calm and deal with things, but deal with things and move on. Um, and that is, you know, sometimes more more important even than the show is how we carry ourselves and conduct ourselves uh, as we try to make uh, good art and uh, good people. Uh, but it was a good show. It's a good show. Thank I enjoyed you. it. Um, I did not know much about Little Women, the musical, beforehand. I knew it was Sutton, and I knew that there were a lot of big numbers, and I knew that it traveled through time a little bit. I have gotten to the point where I, if I know I'm going to see a show, I try to not listen to it or read about it or get familiar with it so that I can still have that that surprise in the theater. Like, even if it's mm-hmm. a show that I've seen before or other versions of, I'm like, that was a while ago. Let's see what this one is. Um, so, yeah. And uh, Joe, uh, original Joe, uh, even though she was tr- trying not to puke, absolutely crushed uh, Astonishing at the oh end of gosh. Act 1. Like, uh, pale, pale as a ghost and just belted her face off. The fact that she was able to come on stage after having yeah. just thrown up and sing that song Crush like it. like yeah like wow man. yeah yeah i can only imagine how much her throat hurt after that one mm-hmm. yeah but no it was it was a very mm, i had a word and then it flew away 
memorable? Yeah, memorable is good. <laughs> no, it was a really great show. I'm very, very proud of them. And um, now we're going to stop talking about Little Women on this podcast. I know it's kind of taken over the last two episodes, but we're going to move on to other things. Because you're gearing up for Newsies. We are going to start talking about Newsies because I realized <laughs> uh, yesterday that my auditions are in two weeks. Woohoo! Yeah, you're gearing up for Newsies. I'm gearing up. I'm going to stage manage for our friend Kelly um, for her production of Adam's Family. Yeah. Which I know nothing about, so I should probably cool. study up. So it's never ending. You said earlier that this is a cyclical industry, and that that sure is the gosh darn truth. That sure is, isn't it, right? So my, f- my favorite thing about not um, – about not – running a theater day in and day out now is that other people have realized that my time is more available. Like other theater companies, other community groups. Um, And I think I'm now up to three different companies asking me to direct for them in the last month, which is really cool, but it's the exact same time as Newsies. Right, yeah. Because that is also how our industry works. Because you can yes, really only be doing one time. thing at a time. So, but I do go get to go help our friend Zan build their Adams Family set this weekend. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. I won't learn anything about the show, but uh, you know, that's not what I'm there for. Well, I should go see their version of the show anyway. Yeah. So you have something to compare to. Well, exactly. Just like have a little bit of. Just some context. Context. Some context. And you know who I might invite to go see the show with me since it is a spooky show and it's spooky season? It is spooky show and spooky season. Who who would possibly want to go see that show? I might invite the ghost light ghost. The ghost light ghost? Yeah. Yeah. They might love that, actually. They might. Maybe they'll even do like a whole Rocky Horror thing and like get up and perform with Adam's family. That seems like something a ghost light ghost could do. I think you have to have a certain amount of theatrical, I was going to say spirit, but I don't like to make puns. Too late. So we're going to steer away from that um, in order to be a ghost light <laughs> theater podcast ghost. So, Do we think the ghost light ghost has performed on stage? Oh, without a doubt. Because podcasting, as we've talked about, does not count as live performance. <laughs> no. <laughs> not in the slightest. Hmm. Okay. Well, you uh, invite that ghost with you to see Adam's family, and we'll see if they uh, get to uh, reveal themselves and perform on stage. I look forward to reporting back. Thanks for coming with us uh, on this episode, as we uh, will never speak of Little Women ever again. <laughs> uh, that is a that is a lie, Cassie, and I love to talk about our shows for forever. And that's just kind of what this show is, an excuse for us to put our stories on the internet forever. Uh, a huge thanks to all of our patrons uh, over at Ghostlight Media, without whom this show would not exist. Uh, and we get to keep adding shows to the network. And it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Cassie, I don't think you're going to a KCON. I am not going to a KCON. But the rest of you are. 
the rest of us are, most of the rest of us are at least, are going to be at a CadeCon in Dayton. The first, I believe it's the first weekend of November. We'll post a lot more about it on our social media stuff as it's coming up. But we're all very excited. Um, we'll have a booth there. I think we're doing a couple of panels, and I'm not sure what else um, Chase hasn't told us what we get to do yet. Chase, if you hear this, <laughs> I would like to know what I'm doing. Okay, thanks. You're great. <laughs> Anything else we need to shout out or say or do or? No, I think we've uh, covered what we need to cover. And since we're approaching an hour. We are approaching an hour. I think we're cutting some of this, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And join us next time by the Ghost Light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.